Hello and welcome to Farmerama. This month we start with a fond farewell to internationally renowned water specialist Professor Tony Allen. We hear from the Kindling Trust who are opening up an opportunity to invest in their new farming endeavours in Manchester. Farmer John Turner explores a new vision for dairy farming and introduces us to naked oat milk. And finally we meet Mohammed Rouzi, a fair trade farmer in Palestine, about the role of regenerative farming and the Zaytun Cooperative in supporting a better life for Palestinian farmers. Professor Tony Allen was an eminent scholar, most noted for his pioneering work on the concept of virtual water, including the importance of water embedded in our food systems. Tony received the highly prestigious Stockholm Water Prize in 2008, amongst many other accolades. Sadly, Tony passed away earlier this month, and we wanted to take some time to celebrate his wonderful contributions and to say thank you to someone who has always been a great support of what we are doing. We got to know Tony when he became a member of the Arfield Collective. Arfield has been going since 2017, when 60 people co-invested in growing a 28-acre field of grains on John Cherry's farm in Hertfordshire. The collective makes decisions together online and has farm gatherings to learn more about some of those decisions. There have been some heated debates and it has opened up great opportunities for experimentation in that field. Tony was always the first person to respond to any contributions from John or members of the collective, even if it was to say, I can't seem to get my computer to work to reply to you properly. (laughs) We spoke to Tony about our field as it was just getting going back in 2017. I'm Tony Allen. I'm Emeritus Professor at King's College in London. My interest is in water. And in the later part of my life, I realized that farmers manage most water, uh, like 92%, because it's embedded in our food. And uh, that water is you is consumed and goes up into the atmosphere and isn't available locally. The small water which we use at home and in our jobs is used locally and can be reused locally. But humanity, our markets... Uh, our voters are all ignorant of the fact that it's farmers who manage the water. How have you found the experience so far being part of our field? It's been very powerful indeed in that it's, there is a growing um, uh, need to fill or to, to, to link the consumer with, the, uh, with food and uh, the production of food and the uh, devastation that we've wreaked on the environment. And since uh, the farmers are the people that are doing much of the, um, have been farming in ways which are not good for the environment, this our field process, process, both as a scientist but mainly as just a consumer, uh, gives me access to information on the complexities that farmers have to deal with and have reinforced uh, the impression I had that because they are dealing with something high risk in economic terms, high risk in environmental terms, of the weather effect, uh, that they do for society a remarkable thing, both production services, ecosystem services, and the consumers don't understand the risks they take. Now, most consumers have rather easy lives compared with farmers, and we don't appreciate the um, extraordinary things they have to deal with. And for some reason, we're not prepared to pay the true cost of food. 
And so being involved in the art field has um, helped me have access to farmers, very capable, wonderful farmers, um, who are dealing with everything, as well, including the the relatively small thing, which is the water, because the the bank and the debts and the weather are so much more um, vital to them. And do you have any other general comments, suggestions, or feelings about the experience so far? Yes, uh, as I say, I'm very, very satisfied. Uh, One is aware that there are limited resources available. Uh, On the other hand, if the uh, experience is to be respected and have an impact because of the rough-and-ready way in which the world runs, we need to be able to have... Um, statistics, uh, counting numbers, yield numbers. Yield numbers are rather easy, uh, but a whole lot of other numbers to do with the economics of it, um, which are very important to would-be emulators on the farming side as well as on the uh, field-type experiment. Um, We need to be able to say what is different as a consequence of um, um, engaging in the experiment. It's a very powerful experiment. It's a wonderful way of engaging the consumer. I'm a consumer uh, as well as trying to understand farming in this. So it's a wonderful scientific experiment. It's a wonderful political experiment. But if we can't have some accounting numbers, we will um, not be able to persuade people that it's an approach which is good. So I, And we have just been having a discussion there. Um, if we need funds for um, accounting, I mean, as a person, I hate accounts. I hate commoditizing things. I am a socialist, but we run in a world in which we pretend that accounts are important. And if we're to persuade people that work with pretend accounts and are quite happy to operate with them, we've got somehow to put out numbers in the uh, description and analysis that we have that get people's attention. Thank you for all your support and great work, Tony. Your legacy lives on. Kindling Trust in Manchester work on a range of projects that model a fairer, more responsible, ecologically restorative food system. Their projects range from developing markets for sustainable locally grown food to training people in farm work. They're now looking to set up their own community farm. So we've just been looking at ways to to make local sustainable food more accessible and affordable to people, but then also finding ways for people to have livelihood in regenerative agriculture so kind of we've been trying to work at both ends of the supply chain with farmers and with consumers and uh, yeah kindling cost is really about balancing that supply and demand and now we're ready to establish a kindling farm you know we need to we need to scale up like we've done like there's loads of amazing stuff happening um up here in terms of uh veg box people and manchester veg people and growing the markets for local organic food so partly kindling farm is about that it's about growing more produce um uh more locally for our for our customers but it's also about looking at uh looking at how to farm truly ecologically on a bit of a larger scale uh, so yeah, Kindling Farm is kind of about engaging more people, it's about training more people, and it's about growing more food and growing growing hope, like growing the hope that we can do things in a different way. 
basically we are uh we've launched a community share campaign um to buy a 120 acre farm close to manchester to create a um agroforestry pioneering agroforestry farm for the northwest uh, the vast majority of the farm will be focused on field scale fruit veg and uh, cereals and pulses um, the agroforestry system will have around 6,000 apple and pear trees and then we'll also be growing undercover so salads and the like for our markets in greater manchester and then in the future we hope to have a space for people to kind of add value to the products. So uh, enterprise hub and maybe a centre for social change where people can come and learn the kind of lessons and the mistakes that we've made whilst establishing this agroforestry farm. So the approach we're taking to establish the farm is to run a community shares offer. And that does a couple of things. It um, engages a really broad range of people in kind of owning the farm and uh, really raises our profile and also helps us uh, raise money because you know purchasing land is, is, is really expensive and really difficult to do. So what we're doing between now and the 3rd of July is encouraging people to go and look at our plans, look at our business plan, look at the offer and see whether they would like to kind of join us in establishing the farm. And then because of the way it's been uh, run, and the people involved, you you kind of at the end of it, you end up with this kind of community of owners and this democratic process. So as Chris says, we want uh, as many people to be involved as possible. And we're aware that in these quite uncertain times, um, it, it not everyone feels they've got enough money to invest. So there's a couple of things. One thing is that you can get together with a group of people um, to invest so whether that's your family or your friends or a coffee morning that you're part of or something and and you can invest as that group and just name an, an individual to be your representative or you can buy it as a present for a child like a, I had a phone call the other day from um, uh, somebody who was a grandma and wanted to buy shares for uh, three of her grandchildren because uh, she felt like it was a really hopeful present to give them especially at this time um, and then the other thing is, if you if you can't afford it, then we want you to be able to get involved in other ways. Like at, at the moment, we've got 12,000 trees that we need to graft for our agroforestry system. Um, and we're doing that through also training, training people up um, and trying to pass those skills on. Uh, so if people would rather do that or feel more able to do that, then we would really love you to get involved in that way. And also just to help us spread the word about what we're doing and about the community shares. Um, and the kindling farm. For us, it's really important that um, we show that almost anyone, you know, without any um, money behind them can come together and, and find a way of getting onto the land. You know, there, there are some fantastic examples out there of regenerative agriculture, but very often it's kind of very difficult to see how as an individual I could kind of go about and replicating that and setting that up. And, you know, we, we need these kind of farms almost everywhere. So we need examples of lots of different ways that these things can be established. And for us, um, you know, being able to show that, you know, a group of people can come together without any resources at the outset, but pooling their expertise and, and finances can, can establish these projects is as important as actually the food we end up growing at the end. Over the last year or so, I've kind of seen this change in the organisation where, you know, Years ago, we, we felt that we wanted to do something around food justice and we felt that we needed to establish a farm. 
And, and so we set up all of these projects to kind of help us get to that point and to help us. We knew that if we established a farm way back then, um, it would struggle. We didn't have the volunteers, we didn't have the market, we didn't have the expertise. So we have, as an organisation, spent the last five, ten years kind of developing these projects to support the farm. But in the last year or two, particularly with COVID, there's kind of been that this kind of flip where actually the projects need the farm to grow. So like our veg box collection point, our veg box collection uh, co-op has got to that stage now where you know it needs more local produce. We have more volunteers and we can safely um, you know, look after our, our smaller site. Really fascinating to watch. If you'd like to find out more about the share offer or consider investing, you can do so at ethics.org.uk. That's E-T-H-E-X org.uk John Turner and his brother have a 130-acre farm in Northamptonshire. John is actually one of the original Pasture for Life farmers and has been producing organic Pasture for Life beef for many years. But his children have led him to move in a different direction recently. John shares some of his explorations of how he can marry the ethics of his vegetarian and vegan children with a profitable farming enterprise that nourishes people and the soil. He is proposing a vegetarian dairy farm producing cow's milk alongside innovative naked oat milk. John begins by telling us how they got started dairy farming back in the 1960s. In those days, milk sort of dairy was a really good entry point for farmers to get into farming. And ironically, you could actually make a good living off 10 cows in those days. It seemed just natural to keep developing that. And we we ended up at a point, we were up to about 110 cows. It was starting to put significant pressure on the on the farm. You know, we were we we felt we were pushing the cows. We were having to feed them a little bit more. We were dealing with starving problems, foot problems, that sort of thing. And so we took a long, hard look at it, looked at all the various options. We went to a higher value um, product at the time, which was for, for us organic. And I'll put my hands up. You know, that was the reason we went into organics was really just, to, you know, to tap into a higher value market. Once we're in there, it, it sort of completely changed the way we looked at farming. It's the point at which I say to people, we actually started farming at that point. The whole sort of approach of looking at the causes of um, problems rather than dealing with the symptoms, that was the big shift for us. The problem was that shortly after we converted, the organic milk price absolutely collapsed. It plummeted to the point where we started off with four cows in, a, in an old farm because you know, we were just losing money at that sort of rate. So it was, it was a big wrench for the family, particularly my father, just to say, oh, Dave's going to have to go. And But that's what we did and went into suckler beef with these limousine cross British region animals. We had all this grassland, so we just let them get out, go and do the grazing. The trouble is that going into beef took us into another different area, another challenge for me. We have four children. And out of those four children, I have got two that are vegetarian and one that is vegan. So becoming a, a, a beef farmer um, was, we, in some ways, we, we, we'd solved some problems. You know, we, we were getting all this thing about sustainable farming. 
uh, and starting to realise the huge benefits um, in terms of what, what they did to the soil. It was taking us in the wrong direction in terms of where I saw the next generation and those values, those ethics. What is the legacy farming that we want to leave for the next generation? And they've taken a fairly fundamental um, decision for us. And, and this time the change isn't because of finances. The organic beef is doing incredibly well for us, but we've taken the decision that they're going to move on to another pasture-fed farm. And in the place, we are creating a space for micro dairy to come onto the farm. And that will be the Ahimsa dairy. Um, and they're lovely people. It's a micro dairy, but bolded onto that is, is the added thing that it's a no slaughter dairy. In other words, that there's no part of the production, um, including the calves, where the animals end up in, you know, being used for meat. I think what we want to do is to try and explore what that would look like, how it would work. The idea of a vegetarian livestock based enterprise on the farm. Ironically, we've come full circle, you know, 2021 with 13 milking cows on the farm. And we're almost back to where we were in the 1960s. But I just feel that the whole values and the reason that, you know, we are in this position embraces so much about regenerative agriculture, the role of livestock. And it's, it's, it's resetting, I think, our relationship with livestock on the farm. Could this farm actually run without livestock on it? Quite clearly, the answer to that was a definite no. There's times on the farm where we have established new lays or we've put a crop in and they've not got going. They've not responded in the way. And, and it's very difficult to put your finger on why they haven't worked. And it's happened so many times that even though there are a few weeds and a you know straggly bits, and there's probably only enough for a couple of days grazing, we'd put the cows on them, and there's been this absolute transformative effect on it. You know, it's just like waving a magic wand, and the whole thing comes to life, and all those plants that you thought weren't viable all of a sudden spring up. And it's funny because this is the point at which science you can't Google what's you know what's happening there. So you, you find yourself talking to other farms and saying, "What do you think's happening?" And so it was one of those light bulb moments. Somebody said to me, you know what, John, I think it's because you've got a grazing animal here. So the biology in the cow's rumen is going to be the same as the what it's eating, which is the grass. And there's this virtual, virtual circle that that's the same biology that's in the soil biome. And that, to me, I mean, although I don't have the science to back it up, that seems to me to be the, the answer, that you've got this fantastic symbiotic relationship between between the bacteria in the gut the bacteria in the soil and that is where the real benefit is so what we're doing is giving it that sort of yakle effect within the the soil's stomach and it's seeding the right biology it starts feeding the plant roots and you know you get all those benefits we must have cattle on the farm um it's just the role of those cattle and i think the transformation for us is going from seeing the the cattle is a financial model to the cattle in terms of their value, in terms of what they do, they bring in terms of the grazing, the management and the soil biology. That's the value of having the cattle on the farm. now. Instead of looking at the manure in terms of tons of manure, like we need so many tons of nitrogen, so many tons of phosphorus to grow this particular crop. 
we're now looking at it in a very different way that actually it's more like a tea we're using that manure in a very strategic way to feed the bacteria um, so we can we can actually do what we're doing with 13 cows we don't need the volumes all we need is is that little magic element and that's what's making our organic rotation work incredibly well getting rid of the beef herd it's left a huge hole in terms of an income so we have to make sure that the farm stays viable. One of the take-home quotes from one of the Oxford Real Farm conferences a couple of years ago was, you can't be green if you're in the red. You've got to have a viable farming business. When we were introduced to Naked Oats, we were sat around a table with Kim up at the Small Food Bakery, and I think Josiah from Hogmadars had brought up a little jar of these achy dates. It was one of those moments when everything just seemed to drop into place. I mean, here was a potential food crop, and it was a part of the rotation. For us, once you've taken the, the, the first wheat crop off, um, you're looking for other things that don't have a big demand on the soil. Otherwise, you're just going to impoverish the soil. And oats have been a really good crop for that. But here was here was a crop that potentially was a food crop and it and it ticked all the boxes for us, um, you know, in terms of sort of feeding people. And, you know, it's a food that needs minimal processing. That's, I think, the problem with conventional oats is that they do need the husks taken off them. Well, here was something you could use straight out of the jar um, and it was almost a direct replacement for rice. But also in, you know, increasingly in the interest in oat milk, plant-based alternatives so for us it fills a financial gap that has been left by beef and this is where that relationship with with people like Hogmadods who are so fantastic at you know facilitating the development of these new crops and they're working with people like um like Joshua down at um Tiger Milk in Bristol it started off with milk being produced from tiger nuts but they produced this new one, which is called Float, and that is a, a, an oat milk based on a very different oat milk uh, approach, using naked oats into bottles, recyclable, local, to see the oats that we produced going through a chain and ending up in a product, and we say, we can say, yeah, we know where that's come from. Yeah, such a, a difference for us as farmers. It makes such a difference to, to see the effort that we put into it ending up in a product and people appreciating it. Yeah, there's some wonderful opportunities out there and yeah. all the, the energy that's coming out of regenerative farming now and the alternative food networks. It's such a great time to be starting in farming. You know, whatever stage you're at, I don't think they should be fond of making change and the number of people I've sp spoken to, particularly when the subject of oat milk comes up, they do clearly see it as a threat and sort of retreat. Well, you know, I'm a dairy producer. How does that fit in with what I'm trying to do? And I, my response is actually don't see it as a threat. If you're if you've got a dairy farm that can grow barley, you can grow oats and you can you can do both. You can put your cows onto grass and do some fantastic pasture for life milk and grow oats and supply plant-based milk it's not an either or let's get away from this binary choice there is a world of opportunity out there for people and i'd say just embrace those opportunities bristol-based tiger and float are making this innovative oat milk that uses the naked oats john is growing it's exciting on many levels because it embraces 
ecological farming methods and creates a whole new model for oat milk that can support local farmers and works with recyclable glass bottles instead of the current international Tetra Pak centralized oat milk model. On their website, they say that float tastes more naturally milky than anything else out there and can make anything from frothy cappuccinos to thick smoothies. We can't wait to try it. Mohamed Rouzi is a farmer and manager of the Palestine Fair Trade Association, a group of farming cooperatives who supply their olive oil, almonds and wheat to the UK-based cooperative Zaytoun. For almost 20 years, Zaytoun have sourced products that are ethically sourced and sustainably grown in Palestine, and they can be bought in the UK to support sustainable livelihoods for farming communities in Palestine. This is a great example of solidarity trade. Mohammed believes that regenerative farming and traditional knowledge are vital in response to climate change and the added challenges faced by Palestinians due to the occupation. So I will just go out. Good afternoon from Palestine. My name is Mohamed Al-Ruzi, uh, working with the Palestine Trade Association as a, a union or a pool for all the Palestinian farmers or producers who are interested to work under the fair trade umbrella. Anyway, so if you see the mountains, that is Nazareth. It's it's very uh, yeah, it's it's very far. It's around uh, 35 kilometers from here, but I think we can yeah we can see it. And uh, this area called uh, called Merj uh, Ibn Amir area, it was considered as the um, food basket for all Palestine. Okay, I will go back inside. We have 1,200 farmers registered in our system, and uh, they are, let's say, from uh, around 50 cooperatives in the West Bank, in the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, all of them are both certified fair trade and organic farmers. Mainly they are producing olive oil and almond and other products such as uh, wheat, uh, uh, za'atar or thyme, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, here in Palestine, mainly we are uh, inherit. Uh, the farming work from our families. So even if you are not uh, a full-time farmer, you will you know, your family is a, a farmer, a farmers. Ma- mainly, uh, we work with organic farmers. Uh, our organic farmers, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, they are olive and almond farmers. It's not easy uh, to be organic, but it's not very difficult. Uh, organic, not just healthy food, uh, organic uh, means uh, healthy environment, better environment for us. We can find always healthy food, but also we need a, a, a healthy environment to have a healthy life. And uh, in our system, or let's say in Palestine in general, in general, the most important thing that you cover your own home consumption needs. So at the first level, you need to, uh, uh, to let's say to to uh, produce the needed quantity for your family, then the extra quantity will be let's say marketed 
marketed through us or through other other uh, traders, maybe local local trading. It's important to have two things in your home, in your house, uh, for for your living: the oil and the wheat. So we say seventeen fill bed, ten with it. Of course, they are small scale farmers; they don't have that much uh, uh, land they own, but they produce uh, enough quantities to be marketed through our organization or through our channel or even uh, through other traders maybe lo- locally we when we start in in 2005 of course mainly all the farmers join the system because they are uh, they are thirsty for uh, uh, sustainable marketing for their production now they are with us not just because the marketing but also they now believe that they are producing uh, healthy food and they are contributing which is very important for us as uh, as Palestinians under occupation we are contributing uh, with other uh, uh, with other countries in order to save our planet in order to make a better uh, healthy uh, life of course we are a very small country and maybe our contribution is very small but even so it's very important to, that we have uh, uh, a contribution we are part of this. Our farmers, they are, let's say, organic by default. 30 or 40 years ago, there was no chemicals. Maybe the intensive farming start maybe 40 or 45 years ago, just. So there was no intensive farming. There was no conventional farming. Mainly the farmers are uh, organic. Traditionally, our farmers use the animal manure as an organic fertilizer which came from extensive farms, not intensive farms, from their own animals. Also, uh, 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 they can, uh, let's say, uh, doing uh, weeding by hand, so they don't need to spray pesticides, or herbicides, sorry. And sometimes they land some trees or some crops which can affect, uh, let's say, uh, uh, keep the, the, the insects or the pests away from your major crop, for example, Sometimes they plant garlic or onion or sometimes basil between uh, the vegetables, and this gives uh, 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 a good results in order to keep the insects away from, from your vegetables or from your field. We start talking with them uh, about something new and not new. It's something new as a name, but it's not, some, it's, it's, it's not new as practices. Some farmers, they believe as much as you plow your land, as much you will get um, uh, production. And it's, of course, it's, it's something, it's, it's wrong. So other farmers, they believe that they need to do just one plowing time, which is uh, uh, on the spring. So, and it's accepted on the regenerative farming, uh, limit uh, tillage or limit plowing. So maybe we start with 30 or 35 farmers, uh, they establish a connection between them to share experience and also to share other things such as the uh, machinery or the machines, some seeds, some land-based seeds, which is very important to, uh, in the in the in the uh, regenerative farming. We establish a kind of seeds bank or library for the for the seeds. The farmers they produce their own organic. Uh, uh, land race seeds 
which is, uh, of course, pure seeds, not GMO, not genetically modified, not treated. The farmer, for example, one farmer produced clover. So next year, part of the stored quantity from last year from the clover seeds will be distributed to other farmers. The other farmers, for example, have their own beans or legumes, let's say beans or fava beans. So uh, he will share the quantity with other farmers and so on. The alternatives for us, it's li very limited because in Palestine, we don't have access for our groundwater, for the ground aquifers, because it's controlled by the Israelis. So uh, even if we try to find alternative, it's limited, I mean, it's, it's limited. So we are not able to dig wells, for example, to irrigate our uh, uh, crops. Even if some of the farmers dig a well, which is considered uh, for the Israelis as illegal well, if they discover they will directly come and destroy the well, and he will be. So uh, we start doing uh, cover cropping. Cover cropping, uh, it's, let's say have two uh, functions. The first one, it's a cover. So it's a green cover for the soil. This will reduce the evaporation or the loss of the moisture during summer. And in the other hand, it's doing a kind of do harvest. So in the early, early, early morning, every day we have the do. And of course it's due to the condensation. So we have water. So due to the ground gravity or the earth gravity, this will go directly to the upper part of the soil, and this will make a kind of daily irrigation um, for, for the cover crop. And also, on the other hand, the cover crop will reduce the evaporation or the reduce the effect of the sunlight during summer uh, on, the, on the soil. Uh, this We are sharing, all of us sharing this world, we, all of us sharing this planet, and we need to work all of us together. It's not, it's not enough for, uh, for, 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 you know, I'm talking about farming living. It's not enough to work in, in uh, environmental, environmentally friendly uh, in order to have a, 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 a better uh, environment or more healthy environment. We need to, to work all of us together. You as a customer in United Kingdom, for example, or, or in any place in the world, when you choose this product which is produced uh, under organic or native farming, this will help the farmers or the producers to continue to 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 more resilient for the what's happening for the climate change for all these challenges which is very important so i think we need all of us to work together at all levels in order to help to uh, uh, pr protect uh, uh, our planet our environment because we don't know what's coming in the future This episode of Farmerama was made by me, Abby Rose, Joe Barrett, Olivia Oldham, and Susie McCarthy. We're very grateful to those of you that support us and allow us to bring you these stories every month. Even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. If you'd like to become a supporter, visit patreon.com forward slash Farmerama. Big thanks to the rest of the Farmerama team, Katie Revel, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Dora Taylor. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett.
Toodaloo.